Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-466 of the Run Run Live podcast. So it finally turned to that nice, cool fall weather up here in New England this week, and the leaves are finally falling. And I have done a couple of easy runs out in the trails with Ollie this week in the crunchy leaves. The knee's okay, but I'm I'm in such poor shape, it's really hard to tell what hurts, right? <laughs> Everything hurts, so a little extra pain really doesn't stand out. But I have a plan. Of course, I have a plan. I have. Uh, I am consulting with a friend of mine to start building a base of core strength and balance that I can leverage to come back healthy in this next season of my running life. And I'll talk a little bit today about how to treat these seasonal transitions where, you know, your body starts talking to you and you got to say, hey, what what do I need to do differently? And it is marathon season. I watched all the folks out running the big events like Boston and Chicago and London, and everybody seemed to do a great job. Great job, everyone. People were really emotional at these races after waiting so long to run these in-person races. And I forgot just how important and impactful these races can be for people. These getting to Boston and running the course, that old course, you know, I just forgot how impactful that was for people, how emotional it was. So that was cool to sort of be a part of. Uh, I did go in. We had dinner with my friend Rachel. She came in and uh, I didn't get to hook up with Eric. It was getting a little late. He was pretty beat up from running those two races in a row. But we did. People asked me if I ran. And I really don't know how to answer that. I I completed the distance. Uh, I mean, I did not run the course on the day. I ran loops over in my hometown of Groton on Sunday morning, the Sunday before the race. And I ran that 30-second run, 30-second walk cadence. And I ended up with a time of, yeah, just 5.05, just over five hours. So I guess technically I ran, I don't know. And my friends did come out. They joined me for the first lap, my three running buddies, and then my buddy Tim hung around for the second lap. And I 
did five laps of different lengths and sizes and shapes. And I'm not a very prescriptive person when it comes to these things. I just show up and run. And I know roughly what distance the loops are from the town hall in Groton. I've been running over there for 30 years. So I know all the loops and I know how long they are roughly. And I was aiming for, you know, five-ish miles, five plus miles on each loop. And I do like five loops. And that seemed like a good distance at that pace so I could refuel every hour, hour and a half. And the weather was cool, but oddly humid for some reason. Uh, I carried just one bottle with me, a soft bottle that I stuck in my vest. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a half a liter, maybe a couple hundred milliliters, something like that. I did not take Ollie with me. That's kind of long for Ollie and busy roads. So I ended up coming back from the fourth loop because the fourth loop ended up being a little long. And so I ended up coming back from that fourth loop to my station at 23 miles and change, like 23 point something. So to keep it simple, I just did that last three mile-ish as an out and back on the rail trail. And I won't lie, my legs were not happy with me for like the last 10 miles. And that fourth loop, it ended up being, like I said, like six-ish miles. And I ran out of water in that loop. But with the 30-30 cadence, I was able to pick up my feet and move each time. And I didn't suffer unduly. I mean, I was working, but I wasn't suffering really. I wasn't really sore either the next few days. So, you know, and I did see others out there on the rail trail in that last loop who are obviously running their own virtual races. And, you know, I listened through some podcasts, had a nice, long, thoughtful outing. And for nutrition, I didn't do anything special. I had water and I had a handful of dates that I was eating. I, I had to change a shirt, change change my hat back at my truck. That was my aid station. And it worked out without much fuss. Like I said, I was pretty beat up at the end. It felt like I had run a marathon, but I recovered very quickly and the knee was fine. So there you go. For the veteran runner, the answer is you can complete a marathon on zero training using a 30-30 run walk. And you will, uh, as they say, walk away from it. Today, we talked to John from Squish Bands, and it's an interesting interview. I think you'll like it. John's a nice guy, and he's really tied in with my buddy Kevin over at the Extra Mile podcast. Hey, Kevin. In section one, we'll talk about this mindful crux of determining what to do in these later seasons of your running life when you're coming out of an injury like I do, like I am. In section two, I'm going to do an old man rant on hustle culture <laughs> because it's my prerogative. Get off my lawn. But I do love this fall weather, don't you? Of course, it's only fall weather up in the northern hemisphere. If you in the south, it's spring weather, which is good too. It's all good. But I, I realize up here, anyhow, just the way we're we're structured in terms of our society, we're moving into a stressful period of our lives. And there, these few weeks before the holidays tend to be very busy and stressful, and they can be overwhelming. And I say this each year to you. So remember, my point is, remember to be mindful. Now work with me here. Straighten up, relax your shoulders and your jaw, Bring your head up high, like the top of your head is being pulled up into the sky. Yeah, straighten up that spine. Take a deep breath. And fill up 
your whole abdomen, all the way down to your belly. Hold it for a count of two or three for a little bit and feel that peace and that energy in your body when it's filled with breath. And then let it out slowly and feel the gratitude for that simple act. Do that a couple of times today. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. The bigger picture, running and life cycles. So we are at a crux in our running life. Crux. Interesting word, crux. It's a Latin word, means cross. It is cognate with words like crucifix and crucify. And the original Latin was more any sort of tree or wooden scaffolding that you hung criminals on to be executed. In the sense I have used it, it means cross, as in crossroads, a point where the roads diverge and you have to choose a path. And this makes it sound too binary and divergent, though. And what I intend is more of a decision point or a point of potential change and adaptation. I am getting a year older in a couple of weeks, and I am getting closer to one of those landmark ages. That means a new age group, but also means I need to think about my approach. Think about my approach to this sport, to my sport. And we have seen cruxes before. When I transitioned to my last big age group, I adapted my training approach so that I could keep running and be healthy. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. What are the things that enable you to not only keep running, but keep competing as you age up? How do you keep the dream alive, so to speak, without suffering too much, without hurting yourself? And if you've been hanging around with me for the past two decades, you will have observed that my running has cycles. Cycles of learning, cycles of performance, cycles of adventure, cycles of injury and reassessment. And this is true not just for me. It's true for every runner. And when I first got the bug early on, I was so enthusiastic. I learned a lot, and I learned it fast. And those cycles of learning and injury were very fast, months, right? I'd go after a race. I'd get hurt. I'd learn something. I'd adapt, and I'd go after another race. As I matured, I learned my way around most of the common injuries and the common pitfalls. So the cycles of learning got longer and deeper. The injuries and the learning were more profound and the cycles longer. There would be longer periods of stasis, nice long cycles of performance, years-long cycles. Then I would be gifted an injury that took years to learn from. And I feel like this current injury is one of those. I felt it as I was training over the last couple of years, I felt like I was just showing up and not really getting anywhere, going through the motions. You know how you feel that? And in retrospect, maybe my body was talking to me, telling me I needed to change things up. And like most runners, I don't listen well when my body talks to me. I try to ignore the signals and push through. And we tend to hold on to what used to work and what used to be the norm. Beliefs and practices are so deeply ingrained in our lifestyles that we cling to them like life preservers, even when we're drowning 
and it's not working. So what do we need to do in this next season of our life? Well, let's start with what we know won't work. In the first season of my running, it was all about performance. My training was high volume, intense speed work, specific races like the Boston Marathon. I spent two nights a week down at the track grinding out 1600s. I ran seven days a week. And this was a great season of running. I set PRs, I qualified, I finished in the top 10%, and I was, for a fleeting moment, a respectable racer. And that is great training for a person in their 20s and 30s, but not so much for me as I grew older. And then in the second season of my running, I focused on fitness, heart rate training to get that big fitness reserve. I salted in some quality work, but much less of it, and typically at a lower intensity. I maxed out at maybe five runs a week, and usually less, and I embraced more core and strength. And this season was also great. I harvested. I ran many events, many marathons, many trail races, triathlons, mountain bike races, mountain races, multi-day relays, ultras. And now I feel like I'm entering into yet another season. And what is the training and racing of this season going to be? What are we going to learn? So I'm researching that as we speak, but I think I have a, a starting idea, a starting agenda. For this season, I'm going to go back to a focus on heart rate training to rebuild the fitness that I have lost. And I have strayed a bit from heart rate training over the past couple of years, and I need to get back to it. Aerobic fitness is a great enabler. Second, in this season, I will clearly require more recovery time. As you age, you lose your ability to recover quickly. And recovery is where fitness and strength is made. It's where it's manufactured. All training is push and recovery, stress and response. If you don't give your body time to recover, you're essentially digging a hole. And at the bottom of that hole, we all know, is your next injury and burnout. And third, Strength becomes even more important, especially core strength. And as you age, the loss of muscle mass accelerates, and that requires more targeted focus. And fourth, the intensity needs to be a lot lower. It's okay to take a walk break. It's okay to rest. You get as much benefit from the workout at 75% effort as you would from the wrong workout with 100% effort. And fifth, along with the strength, you need that balance and flexibility. Let's face it, all the fitness in the world doesn't help if you can't bend over to pick something up or you're tripping over your feet. So my friends, I think as we move into this next season, we're going to learn some new things. We're going to acquire some new habits. And that's the way seasons of change work. You get punched in the mouth, maybe, and you learn something from it. So you don't get punched again, at least not right away. And now for today's featured interview. Hello and good morning. Good morning. And welcome. So why don't you give us the 200 words or less on who you are and what you do? All right. I am John Fournier, and I am the owner inventor of Squish Products. Mainly, it was a sweatband that was invented about 11 years ago. And we've branched off into a few extra things, but our main claim to fame is the squoosh sweatband. 
It's the first sweatband designed for runners. I can tell you a bit more about how it was invented and everything, but that is what I do. And I live here on Amelia Island, Florida. So you said you're a runner? Yes. And so is this a product that came out of your personal sort of discovery? Yes, it was, Chris. Because I, a lot of times you create things like this because you go, this is something I'd really like. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. And you're out there. You got plenty of time to think. There's no doubt about that. So what's the genesis of this? So I had back uh, 11 years ago, been into triathlons and I was doing a half Ironman here on Amelia Island. It was a really hot, sweaty day. And I'd always worn just a headband wrapped around my hand because I always thought, well, my hand knows where to wipe better than my wrist fist or my shirt sleeve or hats or headbands that are out there. And headbands don't look that cool. But I looked around me and like I said, it was super hot and everybody's sweating up a storm. There's no breeze, sweat stripping in the eyes. And I see there's guys running with their shirts in their hands. There's guys running, carrying sponges because they just dish those out or pass those out. And they're finding all these different things to wipe their sweat. And I'm thinking, guys, we're runners. We've been doing this for years. We don't have a way to wipe our sweat. And I thought, we've got these moisture wicking shirts and we have terry material on my hand here. So how about if I just combine the two and make a lightweight sweatband that can easily get the corners of the eyes and zap it out and use your hand as an option to wipe it out. So it's kind of a niche application, right? But universal across runners. True. So very sort of Florida. Oh, yeah. That's where you do all the sweating in Florida. However, we've uh, thankfully been able, I don't know, some ladies probably at one of the expos said, you know, that would be great for wiping my nose. And so now I really push that in the wintertime because a lot oh, of people yeah. like a lot of people think, oh, I don't sweat. And I, well, in the winter, when the nose runs more than you do, we're here for you because on the back side, it's really soft lycra and it's moisture wicking and it dries really quick. So I use that side to kind of swipe the nose and then the Terry side to do all the extra cleanup. That's a thing, man. It's October now and your nose starts running. That's it. And, and you end yep. up, you know, if you got a long event or a long race and you're wearing, depends on what kind of gloves you're wearing, you're wiping your face, you're going to end up with some nasty chafing on your nose after a long run. All right. Yeah. So describe the product to me. Sure. I went home that day and I got a glue gun, a trusty glue gun, and started yeah. working on it right away. You're a crafter, Judd? Are you a crafter? Well, I wasn't, but this <laughs> drove me to crafting. <laughs> so, um, get yeah, that glue had, gun from the scrapbooking. Yep, yep. I, I really did. I mean, it's insane what I did. We'd get stuff from the store, and I'd like, oh, that would really be cool packaging. Just revamp it all and take pictures and think that looks really cool. But yeah, I got the glue gun and cut up a couple of old shirts and some socks. I mean, I was trying everything and inserted a sponge on the inside to help absorb and help get the contours of the face, especially the corners of the eye. And I got it to where you can wear it on the hand or on the fist or on the wrist. There's no wrong way to wear it. But also, I was thinking one-dimensional and did just black. And I thought, well, maybe I'll branch out and do blue or, or something like that. And then a friend of mine who was kind of business coaching me at the time said, John, you need to make this an accessory that women want too. You need to come up with all kinds of bright colors and just things that match their outfits. Because if you look, the women are not wearing black, John. They're wearing all these other colors and bright colors. And also that's, we started branching off with really neat designs. Yeah. So how do you keep it from getting heavy? I'm glad you asked that because that's a very important point. It's the first sweatband that is, when I applied for the patent, which that's still going, 
it's a utility patent because it's the first sweatband that when it fills with moisture, you can squish it out, squeeze out the, the sweat. Or if you get to an aid station, pour water on it and cool yourself off and wipe your brow, puts a smile back on your face. You can just squeeze all that water out and it's dry and ready for more. It doesn't stay saturated like typical sweatbands. It's ready for more. Okay. So you get that sponge in there and you kind of squeeze it out. Mm-hmm. That's my experience running hard in, uh, on, in hot weather because I always have stuff in my hands, a water bottle or a, some sort of, I always run with something in my hands. But my experience is you get to a point where everything is just wet. Everything is, yeah. your shorts are soaked. You can't wipe your hands on your shorts because they're wetter than your hands. Mm-hmm. Your shirt is soaked. Everything's soaked. Yes. There's no way to get the salt out of your eyes. There's no way because yeah. you're something that isn't wet. Yeah. So is that sort of one of the applications, I guess? It is. Yes. It's um, on days like that, that you're talking about, we recommend double squishing. And that simply means maybe you could run with two, like one on your wrist and then one on the hand. I like wearing it to where the Terry is on over the knuckles and then the inside is kind of lightweight. Cause if it, if the Terry's on the knuckles, you can effortlessly just kind of dab the corners of the eyes and keep the sweat out. But after a while, you keep pumping the fist and squeezing it out. It does maintain some moisture at that point. Like if you're doing a five or 10 or 15, 20 mile run, it's good to have a second squoosh that you can pull out of your pocket. That's ready to start over again. Kind of give you a fresh start. A fresh one. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So this is your baby, so to speak, your, your business around this. So it is, I am always fascinated with entrepreneurs and the arc of entrepreneurship because it's not for sissies. Uh, All right. So how did this go from being a, uh, well, I got this thing with my glue gun on my kitchen counter to, uh, well, why don't I make it into a product? That took a while because what we do is for the first year, I was amped up just trying to get a prototype. After I had some friends come in and and helped with a prototype. And after we got a prototype, my wife bumped into someone that is an upholsterer by trade. And she does a lot of really cool stuff up in Georgia. And she said, I'll take this on as a project. I'll do it for you. Yeah. So for a year at that point, we were making them and they weren't quite what I want, but I wanted to keep her going. So I had her keep making and making and we were paying her and paying her. And we finally came up with a design that was workable that actual running stores would like to buy. And thank the Lord that there's the internet because you can have online internet sales. I do not know where this business would be without social media for a small business and internet sales, but we're able to get the word out through internet and it's in a few running stores. We go to expos and the response over the years has been fantastic, especially the last year or two. What's your target market? If you had to put a name and a face on that person. Target market. Well, definitely, like you said, runners and walkers. And are you talking about age or? Age, gender, speed. What we're doing is when I look at the analytics and who's responding to my posts or my ads, it does seem to be the ladies outrun outrun the men. Um, They are leading the men by probably 10 or 20 percent. And it's right around the age group of between 35 and 55, right around there. 
Yeah. So, so thank you, ladies, for all your support. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead of myself, probably. But there's two ladies that one lady in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and another one up in Ohio. They show me their pictures of all their squishes. It's insane. And it's almost like a, a competition. They keep buying and they're trying to get more. And it's it's really so fun to watch. And it's so fun to have a product. It's a unique enough product where they, they like to have different designs. They're buying multiples, right? Kind of like. Yes. Yeah. Huh? Right. I don't know if anybody remembers Beanie Babies. So it's almost like a, a collectible instead of a <laughs> right. original. What do you think the target addressable market is? What do you think your TAM is? with this i mean people always cite i think it's running usa numbers that there's five million marathoners or something or 20 million runners something like Mm -hmm. that what do you think there's this pool of people that could potentially buy your product right Mm -hmm. it's kind of a niche product that pool is not the entire population of the world okay so in the u.s when people talk about runners they typically cite numbers of the running population is something think it's 38 million yeah somewhere around there yeah 30 30 million right what's your like doesn't sound like you thought about that a lot a little bit but um i i do think about the fact that we've probably reached because our budget is as far as advertising is so low we've probably reached of the 30 38 million runners in the u.s we've probably reached maybe maybe three million know about us and as far out of those three million i would imagine probably 25% 25% of those find our product unique enough to where I might get that. So yeah. it, it's somewhere around in there. It's hard because it's, it's such a multifunctional product because there's a pocket on the inside. It can be reflective. You can advertise on it. You can put any logo on it. And people are finding the value in the fact that, and we just launched on our website that you can customize these and make any design for just one band. And there's no sweatband in the world, I think, that you can put a request in to have a design on a sweatband and have it the same week. That's a good, see, people listen up. That's a good Christmas present, right? Good, unique Christmas present. You get that personalized uh, squish band in the in the stocking. Yes, keep you busy. What's your um, supply chain? Everybody's talking about supply chain these days. What's your <laughs> supply chain look like? Where are these guys coming from? China? Well, actually, the sweatband material is very difficult to find in the U.S. So we, to be honest, we do have to get it shipped in from China. So what we've found is the softest, best quality sweatbands are these things that are probably about six inches long, about four inches wide, but they're super soft. We zeroed in on a company that makes these. So we get those shipped into the ladies' mother and daughter up in Georgia, in Swainsboro, Georgia, they cut them up. They can get four squoosh bands out of each sweatband. And then we get the Lycra material shipped in from England. So um, I think that's a little bit easier ship than the one from China, because I know how it is on the West Coast as far as the blockage out there on the shipping lanes. And then the sponge is upholstery sponge that's on the inside. So that part's easy. And then everything else, the logos get shipped in from Atlanta. So that's the supply chain. And then Deb, when she gets all this together, she cuts it all up, her and her mom, and they can usually get a couple of hundred to me and place an order. I can get it within a week. All right. You said you've got multiple channels, but it sounds like you're mostly doing uh, direct to consumer, as they say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I, I love it that way. Yeah. And that's the, the beauty of the internet age, right? Is you don't right. rely on that grumpy old procurement officer over at Target to make or break you. It's true. I mean, we would love to have a large company come in and say, hey, you know, either we'll license this or just send us a, a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand at will. But at this point, we're not there yet. And we just keep filling the orders as they come. And people order like a couple of hundred occasionally for runs or groups or special events that they have. And we're fine with filling those orders and they get a special rate. Yeah. And I would think there's, you're doing custom logos. There's some corporate work you get as well, right? The right. giveaway stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to describe to people what it is and what it does. Like handing those out to your employees, you'd have to be like, well, let me tell you how this is supposed to work. Home with instructional thing, because John, you've got another entrepreneurial challenge, which is you're creating your own category. (laughs) So there's no baseline to compare it to. It's true. There's safety gear, which we have reflective logos. There's phone holders, which people like running with their phone on their arm. But these can actually serve as a phone holder. I don't recommend it for the whole run. But if you slide your phone right in the palm of the hand in your squoosh, it actually holds it quite nice while you're running. Because you do see people carrying a towel or a tissue in one hand and they've got their phone in the other. And this is a little extra sense of security. So, yeah, it's uh, one of the many little factors that it has. Plus, it's a pocket. And women are always looking for pockets for whether it's a key or money to put in the pocket. Yeah. No, I can see the key thing. The key thing is would be key because <laughs> otherwise you have people breaking into your cars. Right. Or their hotel room. So uh, this has probably been a kind of a fun journey for you. Fun in exclamation points uh, or quotation marks. How do you stay out of that? There's this whole cult around entrepreneurship, right? In the United States, anyhow, especially if you get out in the West Coast. And oh, yeah. this other cult around founder, right? Uh-huh. And there's this, this whole thing about hustle, right? You're supposed mm-hmm. to work 120 hours a week and live your passion and throw everything else out the window. Doesn't seem to me like you're doing that, John. <laughs> no, I've really got it. I tell you, I'm, I've got a healthy balance, I think. I've got these notifications on my phone. My, I just had a third grandbaby. So Ooh, yeah, just within the past hour. But anyway, yeah, it's it's so fun because I love running, of course. That's what we all like to do. And I'll go out and run for an hour or two and on the beach. I call that my lab. That's my laboratory. So I get to test out all my products and see how it's going and, and what works and what doesn't. I'll go out and paddleboard. I'll have one on my hand and I'm using this for testing just to see how it works when I'm out there doing that. But yeah, I like to surf too. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that well in the ocean for surfing. <laughs> Still working on that. So yeah, it's a it's a fun balance to be able to set your own hours because I'm more of a night owl. I can get things done in the morning, but towards the afternoon is when I get really ramped up and I'll, I'll really? roll. But it's fun to be free for um, dinner with the family and and just all that freedom. Yeah. So you said you're you're moving into retirement at this point. Yes, I am from the Ritz. I retired a couple of months ago and trying to make a run for it with the, this business. Yeah. So that's an interesting strategy. I've been thinking about that myself, um, which mm-hmm. is, and I'm going to start a sort of a side business or, or side thing, which I'm going to continue into retirement. Right. Uh huh. So, but it's got to be, it's got to not cost you money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's nice. Yeah. That, that part has happened. It did yeah. cost some money. 
So if you're going to do that part of the, the life cycle where you think you have a big idea, you have a product, you have a service, uh, do it while you're still working Yeah, and, and make get to the point where you're making some money. And, uh, well said. Quit well said. Job, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because the baby boomers are like that. So what have you learned from all this? How long have you been doing this? Like 10, 12 years now? 11, 11 years ago in October. So right. yeah, right. 11 years. So and what's changed? What have you seen? You're tied into the running community. What have you seen? What's changed? Well, podcasts for one, everybody loves a good podcast. And so more power to you on that because it's amazing the number of people that just need something to listen to when they're out for a run. I don't remember that at all, of course. Well, I mean, we had our Walkmans when. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's definitely changed. I usually no, run- laugh at I can remember running with a CD player. The CD players were hard because they skipped. You had to kind of, yeah. kind of, kind of, you couldn't, it wasn't great for running. But the old Walkman with the cassettes, yeah. you had about two hours out of those batteries. Yep. Carry a bunch of extra cassettes with you and put them yeah. in, flip them. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, we're really, really aging ourselves here, but it's true. <laughs> and um, so now I run with, a lot of times I'll run with just a ear pod in, in one ear so I can kind of hear what's going on peripherally. But it's fun to listen to all the different podcasts or all that. So that's one thing that's changed. And the other thing that's, that I talk about with my family is when I was a kid, you'd run the river run, the largest 15K in, in Jacksonville. And I was pretty fast back then, and you would not see many women out there running. And so I go back and look at the books, and I think uh, as far as who's finished and all that, and the number of women was maybe 25%, maybe 30%. And then I noticed as the 80s went into the 90s, and I think it was mid-90s, and we've all, you, I'm sure you're aware of this, just seeing the women kind of take over. Uh, yeah. Definitely into the 2000s. And it's insane because it's like, I think it's what, 55%, 60% of runners yeah. are, are probably women. So yeah. that's definitely something that's changed as well. You go to these expos and it makes it fun for us that are selling because the women don't mind walking up and talking about the products. The men just, they're out hunting. They know what they right. need and they're going to grab it. <laughs> So it's fun to just talk about stuff. And right. They're not shopping. They're on a mission. Yeah. You see that. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> Got to find my espresso love goo. Got to find <laughs> Yeah. What's your favorite goo? Uh, espresso love is probably my okay. favorite. I don't need a lot of goo anymore because I'm getting old and I don't like the sugar. Uh, right. So I try to just eat natural stuff. Uh-huh. So my big thing now is dates. Dates are good. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sugar. Yeah. You know, some roughage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're portable. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm jumping around here, but I just wanted to ask how your injury is going, because I know you had mentioned that with Chris Twiggs the other day or a few weeks ago. Yeah, so it's good. It's good. I'm, I'm on my comeback, I think. Um, nothing sore. I'm looking at this as a crux, right? My body's talking. It's, yeah. And you can't, in this case, it's you can't do what you did in your 40s. Last time it was you can't do what you did in your 30s. So this time you can't do what you did in your 50s, right? <laughs> So I got to figure out how to strengthen myself and look at it holistically so that I can keep doing what I love without it. Uh-huh. Right. Because right. there's nothing wrong with my knees, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with me mechanically. I have forgotten the basics and I need to go back to that and strengthen up and make sure I'm doing all the right things. Right. 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 I agree. Yeah. Yep. All right, man. I'm going to leave you, uh, let you move towards the exit. So how can people find you? In the wonderful squish world. Okay, we are on Etsy, but we do have our own website. It's and just leave out the U. We're very we're unique in our spelling. It's S Q O O S H. 
squishbands.com, squishbands.com. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch, Chris. I really enjoyed it and I really appreciate the invite. Yeah, cool. We'll do some more chatting, all right? All right. All right, see ya. All right, bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Hustle culture, what does this mean? Well, hustle culture is the belief, and I I see this today. I see this hustle culture, and maybe I've always seen it, but it seems to be creeping into everything in business now. Hustle culture is the belief that you can do anything if only you work hard enough, if only you're committed enough, if you can keep giving all of yourself to a job or a pursuit over and over, like a crazed hamster on a wheel. You keep running as hard as you can until the other hamsters drop and you win. And I'll share a brief story from Silicon Valley. This is from one of the companies that are obsessed with the hustle culture. So they have cucumbers in the office fridge. And someone carved the following saying into the cucumber in the office fridge. Don't stop when you're tired. Stop when you're done. And the they have a, a riff on the popular mantra. They say TGIM. That's right. Thank God it's Monday. As in the weekend is inconvenient and wasteful this pause in our work life. So I bring this up because like all good lies, the hustle culture has a kernel of truth in it. But in the current hustle culture, that kernel of truth is sort of twisted and dangerous. Yes, you can succeed through hard work. Nobody argues that. You can push your way to success by being rapidly committed to something. But at what cost? And what is success? And whose success are you hustling for? There is this mythos around hustle that lionizes the less than 1% who come out the other side of the hustle grinder intact. We put them on a pedestal. We hold them up as examples. It is one of our favorite stories. So-and-so made it big through commitment and hustle. They outlasted the competition. They rose to the top. Great. That was their choice. But somehow in lionizing them, we make the unfounded assumption that this is the model for everyone. And worse, we criticize as less worthy those who don't commit to the hustle. Companies and organizations have tapped into the hustle culture. They know that if they can get their employees to feel like they they have to commit everything to the job, that the company wins, right? Startup culture has always, always been this way. Startup culture has a big stinking dollop of hustle culture. But at the end of the day, as a human experience, hustle culture is grim and exploitative. It's a swindle, convincing a generation of workers to beaver away unceasingly is pretty darn convenient for the owners. Don't you think? Hustle culture is obsessed with striving, relentlessly positive striving, devoid of humor and Once you notice it, impossible to escape. The hustlers are told to rise and grind. The hustle hypers go beyond hustle as a way to achieve to hustle as a lifestyle. And Elon Musk, our friend, he tweeted that there are easier places to work than Tesla, but, quote, 
nobody ever changed the world on 40 hours a week. End quote. The correct number of hours, quote, varies per person, he continued, but is about 80 sustained, peaking at about 100 at times. Pain level increases exponentially above 80. Who benefits from the workers at Tesla maniacally striving 80 to 100 hours a week? Who? Yeah, Elon and the investors. This is how hustle culture becomes seductive. It becomes a cult. Those are the cult leaders. They use these half-truths and lies to create this sort of FOMO that draws people in. But hustling towards success is a moving target. The more you hustle, the more success becomes secondary, and the hustle itself becomes the point. The hustle acolytes begin to tie their self-worth to the hustle. Where does it lead for the other 99% who get sucked into the hustle culture vortex? It leads to unhealthy competition between employees. It leads to burnout. It leads to a very unhealthy company culture. And that's what hustle culture is. An interesting thing happened recently. It was a pandemic that sent everyone home from their offices. It gave people a chance to sit back and get a breather. And after they had detoxed from the hustle... These workers began having this great awakening. They started to ask questions like, what is all this getting for me? And workers left the workforce in droves. They left for greener pastures. They just got up and left for no reason at all, except that they had glimpsed the false gods behind the hustle altar. And they realized that if they dropped dead, all of their certificates, medals, and awards would be swept into the trash. You can't take it with you. And we see these shivering refugees from hustle culture groping their way to new truths, to a balanced life, a life of understanding, a life of meaning. They start maybe exercising regularly. They meditate. They read. They don't work like mad dogs anymore. And maybe, just maybe, they are happy. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, we have squished, squooshed through the end of episode 4-466 of the Run Run Live podcast. Squish, squish, squoosh. So what does the future hold? How do I know, right? But <laughs> here's my current plan. If I do that, I'd be rich and happy, right? I've signed up for the Thanksgiving 5K over an air like I do every year, and I'll run it. Uh, I'm also putting a team in for the Mill Cities Relay with my old running buddies. So I do need a couple over 50 men for that team. If any of you locals are interested, it's the I think it's the first week of December. I'm running, not walk running, running <laughs> two to three times a week now. Just easy. I'm going to go back to the heart, the chest strap on the heart rate monitor, because I need to get a better handle on my HR of this as part of this next season so I can stay in zone two for all this preliminary work. And like I said, I'm working with a friend of mine, Gina, who will get on the podcast, uh, and I'm working with her to rebuild my core strength and balance. And I may drop my gym membership because this is all going to be body weight and yoga type stuff, and I can do all that in the house. The gym, it served its purpose this summer. Let me feel my oats. 
get some muscle bulk and some testosterone into my body. That's what the purpose was, a little vacation from all this running stuff. And by the way, feel your oats is an American saying. It refers to how frisky horses get after you feed them. They feel their oats. There you go. But I am grateful for that weightlifting interlude. But now it's time to transition to something else. And it's also getting a little bit <laughs> we're getting moving into maybe not bike weather up here. I mean, me and my buddies will keep riding and we'll go out until the snow and ice stops us, but it, you know, it gets, it's not as pleasant. So going forward, I don't want to put any boundaries on what I can or cannot or still can do. I think the body is strong and amazing and it will do far more than you think. But at the same time, I want to be smart and not abusive in this new season. And our friend Ollie, Ollie the Collie, is doing fine. I took him to the vet this week for his checkup and shots, and he got a clean bill of health. He's 43 pounds. I'm practicing running on leash with him now, and it's a struggle sometimes, but I think eventually we'll come to some sort of agreement, he and I, and it'll be good for both of us. I signed him up for the second tranche of dog stuff training. Uh, frankly, I think it's worth it just to get him out of the house and get him some interaction, get him some training. So my friends, as I said, as we head into this stressful time of year, you must remember to stay centered and remember to be in the now. So let's practice a little bit, shall we? Shall we practice? So straighten up again. Smile. Take in that deep breath. Hold it for a second or two. Let it out slowly. Listen to me. Pay attention. You can do anything. You can be anything. You have the power. You are a good person. You add value in this world. You are loved. And you do what is right for you, for your family, and for your friends with no regrets. Your life is magical. You are unimaginably powerful. Your life is beautiful, fair, rich, abundant, and filled with meaning. Your body is strong. You have all the strength you need to do the things that you want to do. You are worthy. You are unique. And you are loved. And I will see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.